0: Good morning, church. Yeah, so that's my husband. My name is Kari. I am one of the other associate pastors here. Um, I'm excited to bring the word today. Last week, uh, Dylan was able to bring an incredible word and started our two-week series on evangelism, and that's what we're going to continue today. But before we do that, I want to ask you, has anybody had an experience with one of those things that, like, by all accounts, is a really, really, really good thing, but for you, it's like personal poison? Does anybody have that type of experience? There's one thing in my marriage that has created more conversations, more stress, more um, regretted decisions, I should say, and financial strain than anything else. And that thing is HGTV. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody, any HGTV watchers in the house? When my husband and I got married, we uh, were privileged enough to immediately be homeowners. We bought a house, and we did not have access to TV very often. So when we did, we would just binge HGTV. Have you been there? Like you're just like like receiving everything from them. Them telling you that you can make more money if you spend more money. All those before and afters. They did something to Elisha and I when we were first married, and we got very optimistic about our abilities. Like we're just handy enough to get ourselves in trouble in church. We got ourselves in trouble over and over and over again. We would watch HGTV and that before and after process and like the 15 minutes of like renovation that happens when really it's like eight months. But in that 15 minutes, you're convinced like, I would sell anything for an open concept, right? I would do anything for those neutral walls that will up my property value. And we really got in over our heads a number of times. I mean, if you know us, we're already in over our heads. We're renovating right now. And like, there's literally a ban in our house. We do not watch HGTV. We do not watch anything that would make us make impulse decisions. Like when I was 38 weeks pregnant with our youngest, we were sitting at the dining room table and there was carpet in there and we knew there was hardwoods underneath. And I was like, all right. Tonight, we're gonna pull these up, aren't we? I'm 38 weeks pregnant, and it's like an 80 year old house, and we're ripping up the carpets, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh no, the dust. And so, like, I'm going in rooms and like breathing through like a ventilator basically because it's just toxic in there. It was a bad decision. We've done this many, many, many times because that before and after is just compelling. It makes you think you can do anything. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we welcome you here. God, I pray that today in this place, your message would come loud and clear. God, I pray that your spirit would be in our midst. and God, I pray that anything that I say would be filtered through your spirit. God, and that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you're doing here and online and whoever hears us, God, we need you, and we lift up the name of Jesus above all else. In your name we pray. Amen. We're talking about evangelism. You know, that's a really, really fancy word that some of you know well and some of you are like, I've heard it. I don't know what it means. But what it means at its core is just as a Christian telling other people about Jesus and inviting them into a relationship with him. It's spreading that thing that is in your heart to the people around you. I loved what Dylan said last week when he was preaching, because he was talking about the story of Zacchaeus, who is this little guy, I mean, he wasn't that little, he was just short, and he couldn't see Jesus over a crowd that was rejecting him, so he climbed up a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus called him out and said, I want to have a relationship with you, and Zacchaeus found Jesus. I loved what Dylan said, because he said, hey, church, we are not Jesus. We can't save anybody, and we should not be the crowd that rejects Zacchaeus, don't we? Because if we're honest, I don't, I don't think we do it very much, do we? Something holds us back. I think part of that is the expectations of our culture. People don't want us to talk about Jesus. But if we're really honest, some of us just don't want to do it anyway. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I think that that is. And I'm going to warn you straight up. This is a very content-heavy sermon. If you're taking notes I'm sorry <laughs> because this is one of those uh, one of one of those sermons that has come out of Foursquare theology and doctrine because I want us to have an understanding of the purest form of evangelism, where the church has been before and where I think the Lord is calling us in the future Now one thing that I think there I think there are two main reasons why people don't share their faith. Besides just being scared, we're just going to say, like, yeah, we know that one. But one of the reasons, number one, is the history of proselytizing, the history of what kind of is like evangelism. If we go back to that moment when Jesus was on the earth with, with his disciples before he went up to heaven, and he said, go into all the world and preach the good news, the disciples did that thing. They were commissioned by Jesus, and they went out and they spoke about who he was and who he is. And in those days people were getting saved like crazy. The gospel was catching like wildfire. And it was it upset the governments of the day, it upset social groups because they were multiplying. Under oppression, the church was just multiplying. And over time eventually, you know that that Israel was under Roman occupation at the time. And they really were they were an empire, right the Roman Empire over the, eventually they were controlling all of these different countries all over the world, and eventually Christianity became the, became the official religion of the Roman Empire. so as then they were occupying all of these lands, the churches were then state, fun, state ordained Now this is a very, very simplistic telling. Because this isn't really what this is about, but I want to give you just a, a small picture of what this ended up looking like. It was that when the Roman Empire fell, there were all of these nations that suddenly had no government, no structures in place to hold them up. But the thing that was structured that was in place was the church. The church was left in these places. And so, in many instances, the church then became the government. Now, that may sound awesome to some of you. I think there's a part of me that that sounds awesome to as well, because the idea of being like, wow, well, if the church is running the whole nation, shouldn't we have godly values? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could just run things? We really know what's going on. The problem with that, though, is that if the church is the government, those who have a hunger and a thirst for power are going to be going through the church, People who desire to be ruling and reigning over others and certainly have that desire for corruption which exists in every government because that type of power is really meant for God. Those people are going through the church and they're called priests and pastors. They're called ministers. And we see this corruption of the big C church all over. And so then when those countries do what countries do, They started invading other lands in the name of Jesus. Wiping out whole groups of people. The rape and the pillage and the genocide and the enslavement of other people in the name of Jesus. It was like this excuse. This excuse that says, "I I have all of the knowledge because I know God. Therefore, I'm going to make you be like me. And one of the, uh, there's so many atrocities in the midst of that, but one of those great ones is the wiping out of culture. You know, I grew up, my family is very connected with YWAM, if you you know what that is, a, a missions organization. And I remember hearing at a young age in YWAM that culture is just this beautiful representation of God, this reflection of God. And there was an analogy given that when creation was made and we were made into the image of God. It was like we were this perfect reflection and picture of God, and when sin entered into the picture, it shattered that into a million different pieces, and that each culture in the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation, has a different reflection of God from that original picture. And so when we bring all of our cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds together, we create a more clear picture of who God is in his purest form. And so when these nations using biblical reasoning, which was not truly biblical, but using biblical reasoning to wipe out other cultures in the name of Jesus, they were doing the opposite of the work of God. Now, there are people in the midst of that. It is a mixture, of course. There were men and women who loved God in the midst of that. But the reason that I share this with you today is because it's not some far-off idea. This was like our modern-day countries in North and South America. This is so much of its origin. And if you believe in spiritual roots, if you believe that the foundation of something matters, this is why it matters. Because I believe that God has created us to be followers of Jesus who are the prophetic agents of reconciliation on the earth. Because Jesus' whole ministry was reconciliation. Reconciliation. Reconciling us and God. The whole New Testament is about the reconciliations of the Jews and the Gentiles. And in our nation, I believe that God is calling us to be reconcilers, these agents of reconciliation. Now, if we don't know this history, at the least, when we go out and we tell people about Jesus, we have an incredible blind spot. Because what I just shared with you is not a secret, people know this history. We have this blind spot that people don't know perhaps how, they're, how we're coming across and we're saying, well, you have to know Jesus and you have to give up all of your behaviors to be like him. But at the most, we run the risk of continuing that history in different ways, creating divisions among people, groups, and among generations because we think that our way to f- follow God is the only way. Church, I share this with you because I believe that the Lord wants us to be Those wise as serpents and innocent as doves, bringing people to Jesus and operating in the opposite spirit of what the church has been known for in evangelism. Amen? That's not my sermon. The second reason why I think that people don't want to evangelize is, and I've been guilty of saying this, I'm not an evangelist. God has called people to be evangelists, but I am not that person Usually what people are referring to in those moments is Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 talks about the five-fold ministry, the five different functions of those who are um, in ministry. And it says that now these gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And that absolutely is the truth. There are people who are anointed called evangelists. However, remember, when Jesus says to the disciples, before he leaves the earth, he is talking to the disciples. There was an incredible amount of diversity in the gifts of the disciples. These were just the followers of Jesus. And when he spoke to the disciples, he said, go out into all the world and preach the good news baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is speaking to the entire group of Jesus' followers. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are still called to evangelize. Now there are six things. And again, I said four-square doctrine really gets into this. There are six things that the, church, that the church can operate in evangelism and what evangelism should be. I don't really like The word should, I often say, don't should on me. Don't tell me what I should do. But we can look at what evangelism can be in its purest form and what the characteristics of powerful evangelism are. Number one, evangelism should be the church's first priority. Evangelism should be the church's first priority. Now, you know, at Grace, here at Grace Church, our mission is to embrace all people and bring them into wholeness through Christ. That's why Grace Church exists here in Federal Way and on the face of the earth. But do you know that there is a church beyond our church? There is the big Sea church. When we get our eyes off the first thing, which is to save souls we are missing the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Now, that's not to discount something incredible like healing. Healing, I believe in healing. I have been physically healed. My husband has been physically healed. We have seen God do incredible miracles emotionally, spiritually. We see healing in our midst all the time because the Holy Spirit is active. And there is so much more to the Christian life beyond just that initial meeting with Jesus. But if we become so fixated on healing and get our eyes off of the cross, then what can happen to churches? And and if you've been around church, you may have seen communities like this. It becomes so inward focused and, and, and obsessed with perfection. What's the next place that I can be healed? What's the next place that, what's the next class? What's the better worship set? What's the greater Bible study? These are good things, But if this is where our focus is, it's inward. And you will always find more sin in yourself. Don't worry. You've got plenty. So do I. So if if we are so focused on self and we take our eyes off of the cross, eventually what happens is that we slowly start to stagnate and die. We see this, and I really am not calling out any particular place, but we see this in churches, that the same group of people stay together through all of the years and eventually age out to the place that the church dies. There is beauty in that type of discipleship, but we have to have our eyes on the saving of souls first to be able to continue our generational legacy, amen? And I this is just for free. It's not in my notes, but just remember, in the same way that I was talking about, if we don't If we're not aware of the past, we can perpetuate it in the future. One of the things that keeps us agile as Christians is to be around those who are younger and younger and younger than us. Because very, very often, the vast majority of people who find Jesus find Jesus before the age of about 20. Their hearts are just so open. And as we spend time with people who are younger than us, they blow our preconceptions about what a Jesus follower is. And if our hearts are not open to the idea that different cultures reflect God in a new way, then we can try to control that and say, don't do that, change your haircut, what are you doing with that little thing you just did with your hand? That's weird. Those types of things can get us so off focus when really what we're seeing is people finding Jesus for the first time, and that transformational power will make you feel fresh in your faith. Being around that will make you run to Jesus like you did the first time. And it will be messy, but it will be good. In the early church, the perfect model of evangelism was how the disciples, they, they were often pulled aside by religious leaders or government leaders and saying, you're causing so much unrest. Just stop. There's a moment that Peter and John are with um Are with the uh, are like in a court basically, and they're deciding what they're going to do with them, and they come back and they just finally say, "Hey, listen, if you just stop talking about Jesus, all would be fine. We'll send you away." And this is in Acts, and they were saying, "It's on my next page." Peter and John replied, "Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? We cannot stop telling people about everything we have seen and heard." Church, have you stopped talking about what you have seen and heard in the presence of God? Why did the Lord speak to you today in worship? That's not just for you. Number two, evangelism should be motivated by love. Evangelism should be motivated by love. You know, I am not a big fan of confrontation. If I have to get into it, I'll get into it. I think we all will if we have to. But I don't like it. I don't seek it out. And for a long part of my Christian walk, I always thought that the mandate for evangelism was the mandate for confrontation. Going to people and telling them why they're doing things wrong and what they need to change. But that is so opposite of the spirit of God and opposite of who God is. Love is the central tenet of our faith. You know, God is love. I just talked about that recently. God is love. And he created humanity out of love, and when we stepped away from relationship with him, he sent himself, his own son, out of love to save us. Jesus preached love, showed love, and died out of love. Do you know the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor? In John 13, 34 through 35, it says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Catch this. The world will know you because of your love. Does the the world know us because of our love? I really believe that when people who don't know Jesus come into contact with a true loving believer, their lives are transformed. You are not who I thought you were. You are not what people told me Christians are. I I—I I don't think that we are known by our reputation by our love, but I do think that when we have the love of Jesus in our lives, people respond. And no matter how bad the name of the church has gotten, the name of Jesus has never been soiled. People will say, I like Jesus, I just don't like church. Let's become more like Jesus so they do like church. Right? Now, I do understand that there can be fear when we're talking with people about Christ because though Christ is all inclusive in who gets to come to Jesus, the gospel is also offensive because it's exclusive. I, I say, like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, but no, truly, we are talking about an offensive gospel because it is exclusive, and nothing in our culture is exclusive anymore. But when we have this foundation of the love of Christ, that exclusivity, it doesn't feel as bad anymore because it is a true way to freedom. We have to push past the boundaries of our comfort and love people where they're at. Number three, evangelism should be spirit empowered and spirit led. I'm not talking about like our own spirits. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit empowered and Holy Spirit led. Acts 1 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I love living near water, like Federal Way is, because that's always a reminder that like we're close to the ends of the earth. This is a worthwhile place to be. I love that God knows our hearts already. He knows who is ready to hear about who Jesus is. He knows who's ready to accept that invitation. Each one of us here have had that moment that God knew we were ready and he sent someone to us. And so if we are spending time in the presence of God through prayer and worship and meditation on his scripture... Then when that opportunity comes and the Lord says, this is the moment that Scripture is ready, we're ready. When we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which by the way, no one is disqualified from that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can have the Holy Spirit in your life. You do. But that the Holy Spirit will lead us to those moments. And as we practice the disciplines, the Christian disciplines of getting into the Word of God every day, you will be ready. Ready? If you want to share the gospel, do not be afraid to be prayed up. But intercessors, there are some incredible intercessors in this church, people who pray. You are prayed up all the time. Don't forget the harvest. Now, number four may sound like this, like we just said that evangelism should be Spirit empowered and spirit led, number four may sound like it's the opposite, but it's not. Evangelism should be strategic. Do you know that strategy is not unspiritual? I definitely had heard a lot growing up, you just need to be ready to share your faith at all times. You don't need to have a plan, just go do it. And there is so much truth in that. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord with your whole life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And that is true. We need to be ready. But at the same time, if we only look for opportunities, kind of two different things can happen. Either you are that person that's like, I see opportunities everywhere, right? Starbucks, work, at the grocery store, on social media. I can tell anybody about Jesus all the time. There's constantly opportunities. Now, if that, if that veers in the wrong direction, though, that can turn into just a fire hose. Not really, like, listening to what the person is saying, just fire hosing Jesus on them. And then there are others who then have to, like, clean up the mess afterwards. I'm not calling you out, but if I just called you out, I called you out. There are those moments that we do want to share the love of Jesus, but we have to be intentional in listening and responding to those around us. But the second thing that can happen is that people will say, like, I'm always looking for an opportunity, and then no one ever comes. I'm always waiting for someone to ask me. I'm always, nothing ever happens. And the truth is, is that those two perspectives have to do with your own perspective. The way you see the world, not whether or not the Lord has given it to you. And so if we only wait for opportunity, we may not see fruit. We have to be strategic and intentional about sharing the gospel with others. I absolutely love the Apostle Paul because he was so strategic in the way that he shared Jesus' love and the good news. Paul was probably a lot like you. He was a multifaceted person, right? He was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen, He was uh, really privileged and educated, but he was also super rejected, and he would use the different sides of his personality to connect with different people groups. You're the same way. We're all the same way. We have different parts of who we are, and we can use those intentionally. Whenever Paul went into a new place, he always first, if he went into a new city, he first went to the synagogues, which is like the church. And then he would go to a public forum. And in those places, he would stand up and just start speaking and preaching. Now, I always heard that or read that in the Bible, and I would think, that is that really what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to go to the mall, like the food court, and stand on the table? This feels scary. But the truth is, is that synagogues and public forums were places where people stood up all the time and spoke. I love that Paul found normal places to speak in public when he did. You know, we can be normal when we talk to others about Jesus. I know that 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 may feel weird, but, you know, you and I, we're normal all the time. It's when we get into church that we get a little bit weird, and our voices change a little bit, and we, like, turn our heads a little bit, like, yes. I'm not making fun of you. If you see me worship, like, I'll let it all out but as Christians, we just do this by nature. I remember when my son was like four or five years old, we had had, um, we had had like kind of a, not an emergency, but like one of my younger kids got hurt. And I was like, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I remember he walked to the room and he said, Jesus. And like, I don't know where he learned it, but he was like, he had a church voice and I didn't even realize it. We don't have to use our church voices when we talk to people about Jesus. We can talk to them the way that we talk to them because this power of Jesus is so regular to us that we don't have to put on a show. We can just invite people into relationship with him and be strategic in doing it. Number five, evangelism should be creative and adaptive. I love being part of creative churches. There are definitely some people who cannot stand it, but I love it because our culture is changing so rapidly, isn't it? We can't really share Jesus with people the way we did 20 years ago. 20 years ago today, 9-11 hadn't happened. Our world was different, wasn't it? Ten years ago, our world was different. One year ago, our world was different. Certainly, 100 years ago, things were different. We can learn from the things that people have done in the past, but we must be creative and adaptive to the culture in the way that we share the good news of Jesus. I love that God has loved humanity at every single stage of the game, he does not love us less than he loved people 100 years ago. And he doesn't love us less than he loved his disciples when he was here on the earth. He just loves us. And so we can feel confident to share the gospel in our world in 2021. And number six, the final point evangelism should be urgent. You know, there is a timetable on this whole thing, and we don't really know what it is. But church, Jesus is coming back. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about how Jesus told his disciples, go into all the earth and preach the good news. This was before he went up to heaven. But Jesus is coming back to earth. And when we keep our relationship with Jesus and the transformative power of the cross to ourselves, eternity is at stake, Hell is a real place. Can you say hell in church anymore? Hell. It's a, it's a place. And I don't say that to scare you, but in Ephesians 5.16, it says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. We don't call these days evil to shame these days, but we do it to bring light into the darkness and to drive the evil out. Of course John 3:16 and 17 says for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for God did not did not send his son to the world to condemn it but to save it. This is a moment in time where we need to be spirit-led. We need to make this a priority. We need to be strategic. Church, we need to be creative, but we need to be urgent because people are dying. This last year, we have seen that our lives are fragile. And our relationship with the Creator matters. You know like to keep my testimony really short and accessible because it's powerful it's my before and after and every one of us has these things when i was when i was 16 i had known jesus my whole life i had been a christian my whole life and i knew his love but i did not know his saving power and i had been depressed for a number of years i had some childhood depression um and when I was 16, it had just cultivated to a place where it, I had really, really self-harming thoughts, and I just knew that the end was near. I, I didn't think I could live anymore. But because I knew the love of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus, even though I was so consumed and in bondage, I reached out to a couple of people who knew Jesus really well, and I asked them to pray with me. And church, God saved my life. The Lord broke off, and, and, and the Lord does it different for everybody, but for me, the Lord broke off depression that had been lingering for about six or seven years, and I've never been depressed again. Like, he healed me in that moment. I became a new creation, and church, I believe that the Lord, wherever you are right now, maybe you know Jesus, maybe you don't, his saving power is accessible to everybody, There is no one that is outside the reach of who God is. And when you share in just that little snippet what God has done for you, you show people your before and after, they will be compelled to run to the feet of Jesus. And when you don't see that fruit immediately, you can trust that the Spirit of God has planted that seed deep, and they will not forget. You do not forget who God is. You do not forget the power of God when you have experienced the power of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is a mandate that you share the love of Jesus. And so right now, church, I want you to all stand up. If you're at home, make your own decisions, but let's stand up together because I want to commission you church to share the love of Jesus. So if you can just put your hands out in front of you, kind of like this and Lord God, we, I pray right now that your spirit would come in power as you have before. If you know Jesus, I want you to bring to mind that moment that you felt the saving and transformative power of God in your life. And Lord God, I pray right now that you would speak to that and Lord God, that it would break out of our bodies as vessels and it would spread in this place in Jesus name. Church, you are commissioned to go out and preach the good news. Lord God, I pray that we would be those prophetic agents of reconciliation here on the earth. Lord God, that we would know your gospel, your good news as both vertical and horizontal. We reach up to you, God, but we reach out side to side to those around us. And God, we repent for the areas that we have perpetuated cycles of using your name in vain. Lord, we love you. God, we don't want this just to be for a moment. All of 2021, we have prayed as Grace Church, Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Bring revival. And Lord, we know that revival can't come without the spreading of the gospel. So Lord, we say yes. If that is you right now, just say yes, God. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention, hey, if you are in this room or online If you do not know Jesus and you're hearing about this saving power and you feel on the outside, I want you to know you are welcome at the feet of the cross. And the things you have to do to know Jesus are not much. You you do need to recognize your own sin. You need to repent. You need to say Jesus is the only way to God. He is the son of God and you are the Lord of my life. So church, if you are praying this prayer for the first time or the hundredth time, will you repeat after me? out loud. Say, Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. Will you forgive me? Jesus, you are the son of God. I give my life to you. In your name we pray, amen. It really is that quick to lead somebody to Jesus. Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would be thick in this place and you would follow us wherever we go. We love you, Lord, and we give you the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Good Sunday. Be blessed today as you go.